We're starting today a journey with Jacob, one of the characters of the Old Testament. It's a journey that we're going to take that we hope that by walking alongside of Jacob, we might learn something of ourselves. That as we see Jacob navigate a number of circumstances, that we might see something that would help us grow in our faith. Now, Jacob isn't necessarily just like all of us. Um, there are ways in which each of us is different from one another and certainly different from Jacob. Uh, Jacob has some things we might not want to say, yeah, he's like me. Um, just take his name, for instance. Uh, Jacob's name means heel grasper, as in a heel, a heel grasper, because he was a twin, he came out second, and when he came out, he came out holding his older brother twin's heel. And so he was named Jacob, heel grasper, which was also a way of saying uh, that he was a cheater, that he was always trying to grasp above what was his. So I don't think we want to associate with that. We don't want to say we're a cheater or a heel grasper. So there's ways in which Jacob may not be someone we want to say we're like, but there are many of ways in which we might find ourselves on familiar ground. Now, to get a little more into Jacob's character before we begin, um, <clears throat> Jacob's life was complicated, nuanced, just like our lives are. There's a lot to our story, a lot that goes into who each of us is. And this was true of Jacob as well. He didn't necessarily have life easy. There were struggles. He was in a loving family, a family uh, who was deeply in the faith. And yet his family was never settled. It was always moving. He didn't have a permanent residence per se. Together with, I've already told you that he didn't necessarily have the best relationship with his older twin brother. Older by what, a minute or two? And there was a lot of controversy between the two of them through the years. So he didn't necessarily have it easy. And so some of his struggles, some of his challenges might help us along the way with our own challenges. Now today, as we read the passage, what we're probably going to see more than anything is that God is present with us. That with all that's going on and the many ways in which Jacob may not be a model of faith to follow, we get the strong understanding that God is with us. So let's take a moment to pray and ask God to open his word for us. Lord, may you bless this time. May you bless your word that we might hear it afresh and anew. May a story that may be familiar to many of us 
suddenly sound new and invite us into different corners that we might not have thought of before. May we see you more fully, O Lord. May your Spirit guide us in this time. And may our hearts be filled by you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up at the 10th verse of chapter 28 of Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba. Now, Beersheba was pretty much the southernmost boundary of Israel. Dan would be in the north and Beersheba down the south. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. That would be well outside of Israel where they came from originally, where the family had kind of planted itself along the journey long ago when Abram was called to leave his homeland. He settled in Haran for a while before he came to anything near what we understand, the promised land. He's going back to Haran for a reason, and we'll cover that in a little bit. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, I would like you to think in terms of the story here that there are multiple layers that could grab our interest and draw us in. 
uh, much like a uh, archaeologist would go to a dig and there are several layers of civilization then an archaeologist will work through recognizing generation after generation and trying to make sense of all those differences. Or, or maybe a geologist who looks at earth that has a, a large cut and can see all the different layers of the ears. In many ways, this passage has many, many layers. It could occupy us for a good while. But I think we might find one of those layers of particular interest. And it's going to start with a very simple image. The stone. The stone. For the stone kind of catches us at the start of the story and also at the end. This stone that Jacob takes for a pillow Anybody use a stone for a pillow nowadays? Anybody feel like their pillow is kind of like a stone? It doesn't sound all that comfortable, does it? Well, it kind of pushes us into the backstory as to why is he pulling up a stone as a pillow in the first place. The backstory is this that Jacob has had so many conflicts with his older twin brother that it's finally come to a head. Jacob has stolen, and I'm saying that word purposely, stolen from his older brother enough now, more than once. He's been deceitful and dishonest more than once such that his brother has had it and wants to kill him. Literally. This story begins because Jacob is fleeing his home, with the aid of his parents. His parents can see the conflict that's about to take place and that they can't stop it. And so they help him to get out of there, but they help him with a purpose, with another agenda as well. Isn't that the case with us as well? That when we do things, often we have multiple motives for why we do something. Very rare is it that we do something with only one singular motive. Many times we have multiple motives in there. And when someone asks us what we're doing, we might use whichever motive sounds or makes us look best in the circumstance. The other motive that Jacob has for leaving is his parents want him to get a wife. They are disgusted with his brother who got a wife from among the people. They want Jacob to get a wife from their own people, which means he's got to go back out of the promised land, back to where they came from, to Haran, and get someone from within the family system. And so this is the opportunity now that, you know, the, their son's life is in jeopardy. Well, let's send him now to go get a wife. So he's got two motives. On one hand, he's fleeing. And on the other hand, he's being sent with a blessing to go get a wife from the homeland. So if you stopped him along the way and asked him, well, what's going on? What, what's, why are you going? He might not tell you anything about the fleeing. Oh, I'm on my way to find a wife. Or if he's in distress and in need of aid, someone might say, what's going on? And he might say, I, I, I had to leave. My, my brother was going to kill me. You see how that works? So often in life, we have multiple motives for why we do something, and we are always trying to make ourselves sound good. 
Jacob was always trying to find the next way up the ladder. So he's leaving with multiple motives. But the truth of the matter is, he had to go quickly. There wasn't time to plan the journey. Sometimes that happens to us in life. We like to keep everything ordered and making sure everything happens as it will. I gave you an example this morning. Why in the world was my gas light at below the level? And why was the yellow light blinking in such a way of says, get gas? I mean, I come from a family where we're, once it's at a quarter tank, we get gas. We're not like those other people who get out of gas, right? That's not who we are. I married into a family in which they sometimes have to go get gas because they're on the side of the road. I'm better than that. At least I think I am, right? But I'm not. Sometimes you have to go quickly. Sometimes you don't have a chance to make sure everything's in order and everything's put together right. Jacob is pulling up a stone for a pillow because he didn't have time to plan his route and where it would be the next place to be nice to stop. Notice what the story says. It says he pulled up a rock to sleep because the sun had already set. Which is the indication that there's some unsettled reality here. And it's sometimes it's in that unsettled, uncertain moment that God likes to get our attention. God likes to call us out when we're not in order. God likes to get a hold of us. And it's certainly happening with Jacob. And sometimes the most simple thing, such as a stone, can very soon become a powerful image and reminder to us. How many of us have something very simple, if someone else picked it up in our house, if they were going through our things and say, oh, a pine cone, what's this? And yet that pine cone has significant memories from some moment. And so you've saved it. Each of us has different items like that, that if someone comes across, they might easily toss out. But for us, it's got meaning because it's attached to some other event or happening. Such will become this stone. So as he lays down with that stone as a pillow, and scholars even debate that, sometimes uh, the translation is hard, and whether it's really used as a pillow or a, or a series of rocks that are kind of around his head as kind of a sense of protection, the debate goes on. But the image is still strong that it's not the quick place, or the place where you normally would sit down to lay down. And as he does so, he has a dream. And any time in the Old Testament when you hear there's a dream, that is a striking image to us that God is going to enter in. Just when you're reading it, just know that that's a telltale sign that if there's a mention of a dream, God is going to enter in. 
And this is a dream that many of us have heard about, a dream of Jacob's ladder, it's often called. But it's probably more like a staircase or a large portal between heaven and earth, uh, something big enough. I mean, it's hard to get the image of a ladder where angels are ascending and descending and trying to crawl all over one another. That's not really the image that's meant to be conveyed here. That's not what the Hebrew was trying to show. Rather, it was trying to show that there is a direct connection between earth and heaven, and the angels are going up and they're coming down, and this is the connecting portal. This is the place where God's work is entering in. It's also a visible sign to Jacob in a few moments that God is with him, watching over him. But in this vision, this dream, there is yet another image, and that is of God himself speaking to Jacob from above. It doesn't say that God comes down the ladder or staircase. It rather says that God is up above and speaks down to him. And so there's something very powerful. First, he identifies himself, that he is the God of his father Abraham, which is really his grandfather, and of his father Isaac. He is the God who has given the promise of land and descendants to Abraham. And that promise was passed on to Isaac. And Jacob, who's been growing up in this household of faith, hasn't really been living in that faithful household as a faithful person. He's been cheating and grasping all the way up to this point, trying to make things his own way. He's heard about this God, but like so many, he's struggled with whether God, he may be real, but is he real to me? Is he really care about me? Do I don't know. And so in this moment, God speaks to Jacob and passes on the promise to him. Now think about that. The promise isn't being passed on to the best and the brightest. Jacob has already a whole litany of reasons why he's not a good candidate. And yet God is choosing him and that the promise might flow through him. He later will become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel which tells us something about God. Something that we each need to take home today. That God is with us not because of who we are, but because of who He is. The waters of baptism are about God's promise to us. They are about God's loving us first. We may say we chose God, we chose Jesus Christ, but in the end, the Holy Spirit is the one who drew us to God in the first place. 
Baptism is a reminder that God is the first actor. And we see that throughout scriptures and we see that very much in this moment with Jacob. I am the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac. And the inference is now, and of you. Whatever you may be struggling with, whatever you are challenged by, remember that God is with you. And the imagery of the angels ascending and descending is a fascinating one. Because in many ways, it gives the strong impression that God is always watching over Isaac and over us. It's just not that they're coming and going, but rather those who were with him in this land are going up, and those who will be with him as he goes to the next land will be with him. There's this constant care image that's taking place with that. It's not just a bizarre moment. It's a quick vision into God's direct care. Now, Jacob awakes from the dream. And sometimes it's hard to wake up from a dream, isn't it? Sometimes we want to stay in the moment. That is, if it's a good dream. And Jacob has this amazing moment where he realizes fearfully that he's in the presence of God. He recognizes that this, in his mind, is the house of God. He names it Bethel, which means house of God. That this is where God dwells. And so he takes that stone that he was sleeping on or with, and he sets it up and he pours oil on it and he dedicates it as a marker that this is God's place. We do that. We often will take simple things and they will be a reminder to us of some other event. This today was a marker that river is loved by God. The little note I gave you is a note that also says, hey, every year, not only remember his birthday, but remember the date of his baptism." Some families even get a candle and light it on that day just so that the child will ask, why do we do this? Today was the day you were baptized. It's a marker. The reason we do this baptism amongst all of us is so that we can see it happen. And yes, there's a cuteness to it and all, but we're also to see our own marker that we too were baptized in the faith. Now, here's the really cool thing. Jacob sees this as the house of God, but he's going to leave this place with Jesus. Jesus comes and makes his house in us. The New Testament followers of Jesus Christ understood that God was no longer localized in the temple but rather God was making his temple in all of us together. That we have become 
the house of God. These stones and wonderful plaster, the age of this building is wonderful. We refer to it as the church, but that is not technically correct. The church is us. Far more than any of this structure around us. Because it's in us that God has chosen to make his home through Jesus Christ. Jacob gives us in our journey with him a window and a reminder into the reality that God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. There is nowhere we can go. There is nowhere we can flee. There is no depth of awfulness that we can go that God is not with us. There to call us back to himself. The good news through Jesus Christ is that all our sins have been paid for and that we now are in the household of God through Jesus Christ. Jacob's moment is a foreshadowing of that reality in which we now live. So the takeaway, as you go home or as you face this week and whatever struggles or challenges you encounter or whether you're wrestling with some kind of uh, thing that you want to hold on to but you know is opposite of what God wants for you and you're struggling and you're thinking that you're just not good enough or there's something wrong with you, you need to remember that Jacob encountered the God who is the father of Abraham, of Isaac, and now of him, and the God who is the father of Jesus, and now also of us. There is nowhere you can go. There is nowhere you can flee. In truth, God has claimed you as his own through Jesus Christ. And that is the only comfort we need in all that we face. May God be praised. And may we remember that that hard stone because the image of life and the household of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, you rolled the stone away Death that would trap your son Jesus had no power. You rolled the stone away and brought him back to life. And in that brought us the promise of eternal life as well. Help us, O Lord, to claim you as you have claimed us. And help us to realize that you are with us in every moment, watching over and caring Almighty God, we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. May you remember that God is with you and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be yours this day and forevermore. Amen.